You may be seated. Amen. Luke chapter 5. Make your way to Luke chapter 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 5. We'll get there. I'm going to spend a little time there this morning. Looking forward to it. Thank you everyone for helping lead us. What an incredible time of worship. Sure appreciate it. Do want to, do want to mention one thing before we get into the, the message today. We are planning on starting Children's Church back very soon. Uh, so you will be getting hounded and heckled and called and all the things real soon to get on that list. Now, let me tell you what kind of spiritual gift you need to be able to do this. You need a heartbeat, feet, hands, eyes, that's about it. Because uh, here's the plan. All we're going to do is we're going to have the kids in here for worship, and then we have excuse me, a video curriculum that we're going to start with that will teach the entire message. So all you have to do is keep them from killing each other and paying attention during that meeting. You don't have to be able to teach. You don't have to be able to do any of that kind of stuff. Just want to love kids and make a difference for the Lord. So when Hannah Peake calls you and asks you to sign up for Children's Church, just say yes. And that's including our teenagers. We're going to need you for that as well. So we plan on starting that soon. We're trying to build a list right now to get that going, get that back going. If you're a note taker, that QR code, or if you like to type it in, fbcdan.com notes will take you directly to my notes. You take notes on it, and then you can read, or then you can send an email to yourself and keep those notes for yourself for those that like to do that. So here we are today. We're looking at Luke 5. Believers repent. Believers repent is, is, the, is the theme of today. Uh, we've been looking for, since the start of the year, really, really the Lord's been pressing these things on my heart. But the last few weeks we've looked at the, the importance and the necessity of prayer and how we will never rise above our prayer lives as a church. We looked last week about being willing to wait, wait in front of and wait upon the Lord as a congregation when we gather together being willing to do that, but in our lives as well, being willing to wait and trust that God's timing is best, that he will show up when he's supposed to, all of those types of things, and that leads us into this week, and all these are kind of building really up to Easter, to be perfectly honest. They're building up for the next several weeks, and they all go together um, as we look at that this morning. So keep that in mind as we get into this this morning, that believers will repent. Starting in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, here we go. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a, great, a grand banquet for him at his house. Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were, with, who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, the healthy don't need a doctor. The healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. So we're going to dig into this today. That you know, Jesus has just done some miracles. He's just healed a guy. Uh, they're, they're doing all this crazy stuff. And then it says, after that, then, then we get to this. It never ceases to amaze me, the timing of the Pharisees when it comes to things like this. They're always trying to squelch a mighty move of God. It never ceases to amaze me throughout Scripture, their timing that they have. But this is the call of Matthew, the disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus, to, to eventually be an apostle of Jesus. Okay, So it says Levi 
in two of our three synoptic gospels. It says Matthew and the one named after Matthew. It's the same guy. He has two different names, like a lot of people in the Bible. Probably one's a Hebrew name and one's a Greek name, um, but it's the same guy. Levi and Matthew is the same person. And he says, Jesus says, after this, after he had done this miracle and done this stuff, he went out, saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. That was Jesus' invitation then, and that's Jesus' invitation now. It has not changed. Follow me. Just follow me. Follow Jesus. Watch, learn, feel, taste, and see, and you'll find out that I'm good. I am good. Jesus says, follow me. Just follow me. And, and the response from Matthew is it's always baffling to us, I think. It is to me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. That was the response of all the apostles. Now, the way the, the Gospels can read sometime, and if you're just not thinking, it's like they never met Jesus, and he just shows up and says, follow me, and they just drop everything and follow him. Most likely that is not the case. They knew who Jesus was. Jesus is in his early 30s by this point in time. Most of them are for, around from where he's from. Like They knew who he was, but they hadn't had the call to follow him yet. Okay, So it's not like, um, I don't know, Jesus just showed up out of nowhere, and they're like, oh, sure, I don't know what that means, but let's go. Okay, There was a little bit of a mind involved in the thing. Uh, but but, but either, either way, because that happens now this, to this day, people learn who Jesus is and instantly follow him. The same thing happened then. Now, the thing that, that interests me about this, and a sidebar for today, really, many of the other disciples, they left everything, and they followed Jesus, right? But they were fishermen. Think about the difference between the two situations here. If you were a commercial fisherman, and you left fishing and went to follow Jesus, if the Jesus thing didn't work out, you could go back to fishing. Now, you may have lost your boat, and you may have lost some things, and it may take you a little bit to build it back up, but you, could, you can go back to fishing if the Jesus thing wasn't a real thing, if it didn't work out. But, and I'm not downplaying what they did, don't get me wrong. But Levi, or Matthew, same guy, you can't just walk out of your tax booth that you're collecting taxes for Rome. And just, I mean, that's what he was in. The, you can't just get up and go, well, done with that, and go follow Jesus. Rome won't mind. Rome, Rome kind of wasn't like that. So it's, it's this thing that Matthew does is amazing to me. He cannot go back to his former life when he gets up and leaves that life behind. He can't do it. Matter of fact, he's likely to go to jail for doing what he did. Rome wasn't real big on you not collecting their money and getting it to them, so he followed. So what did he do? What did Matthew do? He followed him. Then Levi hosted, or Matthew, same thing, hosted a grand banquet for him, with a capital H, at his house. What did Matthew do when he learned about Jesus and wanted and followed Jesus and gave up and repented and forsook his life to follow Jesus in this new way of life? What did he do? He celebrated. I love that. I love that the first thing he did was celebrate who Jesus was, what he had done, what he felt like he was going to do. He celebrated. It's very cool. One of our feasting disciplines, right, for those of us that have been coming to church. We've talked about the importance and the necessity of celebrating before the Lord and what he is doing together. Why did he celebrate? Many reasons. Many reasons. But when you understand what it means to repent, to be forgiven, 
of your sins, to follow Jesus, to be given the gift of eternal life, you want your buddies to know. So he threw a party and invited all his buddies so they could know. We could take a lesson from that. It says, at this party, now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others. That's the way the Greek reads. There was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. Sinners. Unworthy people. Disliked people. In the mind of the self-righteous religious Pharisees, these people just aren't good enough for the real Messiah to be hanging out with them. That's the problem they have. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're the chosen one. You're the anointed one. You're the son of God. And you're hanging out with tax collectors? I don't think so. That's not how we do it around here. The real Messiah could never sink so low as to spend time with people like that. But notice here what it does and therefore what it does not say. Pay attention to what scripture says, but then think about what it doesn't say at the same time sometimes that can speak to you as much as anything it says that jesus was with these people that were considered dirty sinners <laughs> it doesn't say that they were sinning let that settle on you just a little it says he was with these people that the religious people said were dirty nasty rotten sinners but it doesn't say that jesus was with them and they were sinning Big difference between those two things. Big difference between those two things. It doesn't say they were doing anything wrong. It just says that they're considered bad people. It doesn't say they were doing anything bad. They're just bad people. Jesus wasn't sinning. We know Jesus wasn't sinning. It doesn't say they were sinning. It just says he was hanging out with people that weren't good enough for him to hang out with. There's a couple things right here. One... Yes, Jesus spent time with people that society and the well-doers considered not good enough, not good enough to do that with. Eating and, quote, reclining at the table. It says literally in the Greek, and some English translations say it that way. They were reclining at the table, which is a symbol of acceptance to do that. You didn't sit at a table back then. It wasn't a thing. It didn't exist. Back then, there was a low table, and you reclined on your left elbow with your head facing the table, and that was how you ate and how you hung out with each other. They were reclining at the table, and to do that was to, con was to accept those who were around you. But Jesus didn't spend time with them while they were sinning. He spent time with them while they were sinners. And there's a big distinction between that, because there's this modern idea that, and it's thrown out there like, I don't want to chase this very long, but it's thrown out there like, you know, to be an effective soul winner, you got to go to the, to the, to the, the, the worst places in the world. In other words, you've got to go do what they're doing in order to reach them for Jesus. That's not what the scripture's saying. That's foolish. Teenagers, that is foolish to think that you can spend the majority of your time around people that are sinning and you not sin with them. That's foolish to think that. That's not what this is saying. That is a falsity that is out there, that we gotta, we got to sin along with people to get to know them and then lead them to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And some of you are saying, well, duh. I'm telling you, that's out there. That's out there. He's spending time with them, but not 
sinning with them. Big difference. Be careful about that. Be, be wise. Be wise. The second thing here is, if Jesus never sinned, and he didn't, in case you were wondering, we can clear that up, and Jesus spent time with these people and accepted these people and loved these people and cared for these people and was kind for the people that society and the well-meaning uppity church, church folks say you shouldn't be doing that with, shouldn't be hanging out, with, shouldn't be spending time with those people, shouldn't be associated with those people. It's bad for your reputation. It's bad for what will others say? What will others say about that? If Jesus never sinned and he did that, then there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's not a sin. So let's clear that up too as we move along. I'm getting ex- I didn't expect to be ex- ex- as excited over that as I am. I'm not sure what's going on. I was just going to tell you that, but man. So what happens? What happens as this is taking place, right? Think, think, about, think about it. This wretched tax collector, the hated people, he is now following Jesus. He is now invited. Who knows how many dozens of people to do the same. Think about how many of them may have gotten saved there that night and decided to follow Jesus. This, 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 this crazy little outbreak is starting to happen. And then what happens? Different days, same soup warmed over. That's what happens. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples. The somebodies. The educated. The churchified folks. And I mean that in every negative sense of the word. Because there's nothing wrong with being a church folk. I'm talking about what we mean when we say it like that. Churchified folks. Too good for everybody else. What were they doing? The same thing they've always done. Complaining. Complaining. You can count on these folks like you can count on the sun to come up tomorrow morning. They will show up. This word here is a pretty cool little Greek word. Agongudzen is the word here. That means to complain, to murmur. To murmur, to muddle, to grumble, to say anything against in a low tone. Okay? Picture what we're saying here. It's also used for the cooing of doves. Now, I was like, okay, I know what that sounds like, but what does that sound like? So I went to YouTube, and I YouTube cooing doves. You know what it sounds like when doves coo? You kind of want to listen to it. Sounds kind of good, honestly. Now, after a while, it could get annoying. And if you're wanting to be quiet, then it's kind of annoying. But, but right off the bat, it's like, this is kind of pleasant. I could, I could spend some time listening to this. So I don't think that, that we should miss that in this. Sometimes that complaining, it, you kind of want to latch on to it. It kind of sounds good. The cooing of doves, those who confer secretly together, these are all definitions of this same word, of those who discontentedly complain. Now, sidebar, real sidebar, please hear this. I'm not saying that bringing an issue to me is complaining. That's not what I'm saying, because that's not what this is saying. That's not what that word means. It's not what I'm saying. It doesn't say that when... That, that they went up to Jesus and asked a legitimate question. It doesn't say they went up to Jesus and brought him a legitimate concern. It doesn't say that. They had a problem with Jesus, but who did they go to? The disciples. First mistake. First way you know it's wrong. You got a problem, you go talk to the person that you have a problem with. That's where it starts. Every time in Scripture, every time when it's done correctly, 
That's how it starts. That's how Jesus told us to do it. To go directly to the person and handle it. Then there's more steps to take after that. But they didn't do that because they didn't really want a solution. They just wanted to complain. Man, what's up? What's up with this Jesus dude? Why are y'all hanging out with these people? You really think this is okay? They go to him to complain. That's not the same as having an issue and bringing it to the leadership of the church. It's not the same. And I'm certainly not comparing myself to Jesus in this situation. But in the institution of church, when you're talking about things like this, it's easy to well, that means I don't need to bring anything to Daniel. No. Sometimes that's the best thing you could do. Because whatever it is, we can just talk about it and handle it. And if there's something that's wrong, maybe we can fix it. Maybe I messed up and I need to tell you I'm sorry. Maybe you misheard me. Maybe it has nothing to do with me, but it's between you and somebody else in the church. And it just needs to be talked about between you and that person. Okay, enough of that. I can tell y'all are loving all that. I know it's uncomfortable. It is uncomfortable. It is one of the hardest things to do in this life is to go directly to another human being and either say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, or you did this, said this, and this is how it made me feel, and it hurt me. It's hard to do those two things. It's one of the scariest things you'll ever have to do. But you can do it through Christ's strength. We can do it, and it will make a difference. And what do they say? Man, why y'all eating with them people? Doesn't look good for us. It's not who we are. They don't dress right. They don't sound right. They don't talk right. They don't have what they're supposed to have. They're not really, they're they and we're us. And why are y'all talking to them? What are you doing? The NLT, I love the way the NLT says it. It takes a little liberty, but it says, why do you eat and drink with such scum? That's really the underlying tone of what they're saying here. How can the Messiah spend time with people that are so unrighteous? Now, one, one cool thing in the Greek, and, the, and, the, and many English translations convey this correctly and convey it well, but one cool thing in the, in the Greek here that, that gets overlooked is it says that they were at the party, there was a large group of tax collectors and others. That's how it says it in the Greek. That's how it says it in the HCSB, many other English translations. But some of them it says, the first time it says sinners also. It doesn't say that in the Greek. There was a large group of tax collectors and others, but when they come to complain, there's a large group of tax collectors and sinners already revealing their heart, already revealing what they feel, how they feel about these people on the inside to the outside. The Pharisees asked this question here, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Wicked hearts exposed by their words. So we don't have tax collectors like this nowadays. So it's easy to overlook this one sometimes. Has been for me throughout my life more than once. It's like, ah, I'm not looking down on tax collectors. We don't even have those. So check, got that one done. One less thing to worry about. But let's think about those that we do have in our lives. Let's list them out a little bit. Here's one today. Politicians and political parties. That's a messy business nowadays. Some of you would be so upset, so upset if you saw me eating lunch with somebody from a, that was a leader, a politician, elected official that was in a different party than the one that you think is the right one. You would think, why is he eating with him? Does he think what he stands for is okay? Ugh. 
That's exactly what they thought. That's how they thought it. It's a big one, right? Here, here's the thing. If, 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 if President Trump would have showed up and wanted to, us to pray for him, or if Joe Biden walks through those doors and wants us to pray for him, we're going to pray for the President of the United States. I don't care who he is or what party it is. Good Lord, if there's one thing Washington, D.C. needs, it's people of God praying for them and trying to lead them in a way that would help, actually help. So let's not shrink back from the things we should be doing. How about this? Addicts to substances. Alcoholics. Drug addicts. Drug abusers. Especially the ones that have gotten in trouble with the law through it. Can't be, you can't be associated with them. God can't possibly love them. Now, you wouldn't say it that way, but that's what our actions say sometimes. God can't possibly love you. You know, if you'll just get the drug thing fixed, then you can come in these doors. If you'll just turn away from alcohol, then you can come through these doors. Jesus says, follow me. He didn't say change and follow me. Repent, turn away, follow me. He'll handle the changing. He won't leave you how you are. He won't. He hasn't, thankfully, he hasn't left me how I was, and he's got a long way to go with me. I'll probably live till I'm 150, if that's what it takes. Whew. Single parents. There's another one. Single parents. You know, if they had just made better decisions, they wouldn't be where they're at. You know, if they hadn't sinned, they wouldn't be where they're at. They just do it the right way. If they just do life the way God calls them to do it, they wouldn't be in that situation. I'm having to calm myself. My, my heart rate's going up. This one, this one, this one, this one bothers me. I'm not going to lie. Here's what's true in probably every church in the United States. For people that have that attitude. Some of the people that have that attitude are the same people that took their son's girlfriend or their daughter to fix it when it was them that messed up. But then walk around like they've lived a sinless life their whole life. Ooh. Man, the word of God can hit you in the gut sometimes. Different ethnicities. Probably nothing in the world that makes me madder than that. So thankful I wasn't raised that way. Criminals. Delinquents. Kids that mess up. We don't look at them like that. Just listen to how you talk about them. Kids over here that mess up. Do they feel like you care about them? Or do you just tolerate them and wish they'd just go away? Here's the thing. You can't say you love and follow Jesus, but look down on others not like you who are trying to do the same thing as you. Follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. If we spend our time looking up to Jesus, we don't have time to look down on other people. Finishing up. Man, it's heavy up in here. I know it. See, they, they, they asked the disciples, 
They went and complained to the disciples, but the disciples didn't answer. I love that about Jesus. Jesus said, got a problem? What was that? What you said? He said, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. I hadn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And herein lies the problem with church folk. Church folk. Some of us, were, you, you, you're around churchy stuff. You're, you're around when we sing about Jesus. You're around when we pray through Jesus' name. You're around when we preach about Jesus. You're around when all the fine folk are here and make you feel a little superior about who you are and what you're doing in your life. I mean, you don't feel superior to God. You'd never say that. You'd never say that. You'd never feel that way or say that way. But you feel a little superior to him. And you feel a little superior to her. You start feeling, feel, feeling pretty good about yourself. You start playing the comparison game of, who, of who's playing church better. I'm here more than him. I'm doing pretty good. I dress better than her. I'm doing pretty good. At least I didn't do what she did. I'm doing pretty good. You see, I see myself in the Pharisees way more often than I see myself in the apostles. And that's what bothers me about myself. It doesn't take long when, you, when you're around the churchy folks and you're doing the churchy things and you're getting all churchified and you're feeling pretty good about who you are and what you're doing. It doesn't take long and you start feeling pretty good about yourself. Matter of fact, I'm just a pretty good person. Matter of fact, you start believing you're a pretty good person. Matter of fact, you know, before long you see, I'm pretty, I got this righteousness thing pretty much down. I can handle this righteousness thing. And you don't realize and you wouldn't say it, but you start living as though you can sustain your righteousness as if you believe you can sustain your righteousness, you become a good person, and, 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 can, and God can just spend time helping them. God can just spend time helping them, because I don't really need God's help, because I'm pretty good at doing this following Jesus thing. He should spend, he should spend time with the real sinners, because I'm not really a real sinner. I just sin a little bit, but I'm not really a real sinner. I mean, I, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. They need to repent. They aren't good. They just need Jesus. And we walk around with a, with a spiritual finger pointing at everyone. And the people on the other side of those fingers can feel them being pointed at them. It doesn't feel good. And you forget. You forget that you're sick. Matter of fact, you're the worst kind of sick. You're sick and you don't even realize it. That's the most dangerous sick to be. To be really, really bad sick and not even know that something needs to be done. Matter of fact, matter of fact, you walk around and proclaim that you're healthy as a horse. That's what we do in church. Everything's great. How you doing? Oh, brother, couldn't be doing much better. Life's just great. Love it, love it, love it. Reading my Bible all day, every day, baby. the most blind a person can be it's the most blind a person can be because you can see but you choose not to see 
There's no more blind than that. See, revival starts in believers. Revival starts with believers. We think revival starts when people start getting saved. Revival starts with believers. You have to be alive to be revived. You got to know Jesus to be alive. And then somehow, some way, we, we, we kind of, we got to be revived. Believers have to be revived before revival starts. Awakenings start. Whatever term you want to put on it. Before a massive amount of people come to Christ. Revival starts with those who call on the Lord to be saved. Starts with those people. And then they return to the place of loving the Lord with all their heart. They turn back to their first and most important, most important love. The most important thing in their life. We turn back to that guy. The one who says, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. You can't understand. But one day, it'll all make sense. The one whose way is higher, whose way is best. The one who says, my way is the only way. The one who says, when will you stop toiling about as if you can sustain yourself on your own in this life? That if you could just get enough or have enough or be enough, then you could sustain who you are and what you're doing. The one who says, just trust me, trust my goodness. The first move mover, the one who spoke, who spoke all of this into existence out of nothing. When we wake up and turn back to him, then revival can start. And not until. We keep thinking that if we'll just pray for people to come in the doors and get saved, then no. No. It starts in our hearts, those who already profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. Mm. You want to know when God will send a mighty move of his spirit and send people here left and right to get saved and to be discipled? When he knows that this church is full of saved sinners that know they're sick, and for that reason, stay as close to the great physician as they can. And all they want to do is help others stay as close to him as well. Not point out how they're not doing it very good. When we become that church, then he'll send those that need to be saved. Until then, he'll keep sending them to other places where that's going to take place. Send them somewhere else where they can be loved and discipled well. What am I saying? I'm saying sinners repent to be saved, but believers keep repenting because they are saved. So you're in one of two places today. This is where we'll finish up if you all want to come up. Everyone in this room today is in one of two places. Either you've never repented, placed your faith in Christ, been forgiven of your sin, received him as Lord and Savior. That could be you here today. If that is you, then come up here right now, and we can talk about that. If that's you, if you're in that camp. Or, because you're either saved or you're not saved. So the second group is believers that need to repent, because we always need to repent. 
Every single time we come together as a corporate body, we ought to come in here with a repentant heart. A heart that says, man, made it through another week, didn't do very good. Got to turn back to Jesus. Oh, man, I got distracted by this this week. Got to turn back to Jesus. Oh, man, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I realize how much of a wretched sinner I am. The more I realize how dirty and nasty and dark my heart truly is. The closer I get to God, the more I realize that I constantly want to turn away from him. And I need to turn back to him. None of us are too good to repent. You repent one time to be saved, but if you're saved, we spend a lifetime, hopefully, with a repentant heart that is soft and is open to God speaking to you and saying, do this, don't do that. Go fix this with him. Go fix this with her. Jesus says that if you're coming up to the altar to bring an offering and something's wrong between you and a believer, go fix that first. And then come back and worship me. Because you can't be right with me if you're not right with her or him. It doesn't work that way. We have to maintain a heart of repentance, church. We're never too good to repent and turn to Christ. It's a spiritual battle that never ends until Christ returns. Or until he calls us home. And that's why that will be so peaceful when he does. Because then that's over. <laughs> Thank you, God, that's over. But if you're saved, don't start pointing fingers. Don't be a Pharisee. Be a follower of Jesus. Just keep following him. And you can't follow him if he's going this way and you're going this way. That's why he says we have to repent, which means to turn to him. Even though you're saved, you can still choose one of the forks in the road and start going the wrong direction. Repent and come back to him. Whatever you need to do during this time, get saved, repent, sing with a heart of repentance, whatever the case may be. If you want to pray, I'll pray with you, whatever the case may be. Let's worship the Lord in these last few minutes as we finish up here today. I invite you to stand as we sing.